Hey, if you have your Bible today, go to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. We're going to be starting right at the beginning of the chapter there. Uh, if you've been with us for any amount of time, uh, you know for the past handful of months, we've been talking about the Old Testament prophets, Elijah and then Elisha, his predecessor. We're almost to the end of Elisha's ministry here in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 8. Uh, remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about chapter 6 and 7. Israel was in a massive famine. They had no food. They had no money. They had nowhere to turn to. God miraculously called the army that was fighting against them away. He distracted them. Israel was able to get the resources they need to survive. And so uh, because they trusted in him for that, they were actually able to get that. And so we're going to take a look at the next verse here. Uh, this is a character who we've actually met before. If you remember all the way back uh, from Elijah, he was the first person in the, in, the, in the Bible to raise someone from the dead. God uh, did a miracle through Elijah. Elisha repeats that. He brings a woman's son back from the dead. If you remember, this is a woman who took him in in his, uh, in his ministry. He would go around Israel. And then this woman who was very wealthy, her and her husband actually built onto their home to have a room for Elisha. So this is someone who is close to Elisha, and she was actually spared this famine that they just went through in chapter 6 and 7. So follow along with me here, starting in 2 Kings chapter 8. This is what it says. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. Now, the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life appealed, uh, uh, I'm sorry, appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields, from the day that she left the land until now. We're going to take a look at this uh, story. It's, it's small, but there's a lot there. And so we're going to take a look at this and what this means for our lives. Before we do that, though, as always, would you just go before the Lord with me this morning and ask him for his help with that? Father, we thank you so much for all of your goodness, for all of your mercy towards us. We thank you so much that you looked upon us and you said, I want a relationship with each and every one of us, even in our sinfulness. And so you sent your one and only son to die on the cross on our behalf. And we just thank you so much for that. We thank you for the access that it allowed us to have in a, in a relationship with you where you have redeemed us, Father. And I just thank you so much for that, and I pray that you would continue that process as we look at your word this morning, that you would continue to conform us to your image, Holy Spirit, 
that we would be more like you after looking at this passage, after talking about it and applying it to our lives than when we started, and that, God, you would help us and lead us to build up your kingdom in, your, in our places of work, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, that you would help us, God, to build up your kingdom. I pray for conversations. I pray that, God, you would help us to have conversations with the people around us that would lead people towards you, that you would soften their hearts right now, and that you would soften our hearts to your will as we look at your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, I've got a question for you. Um, I want you to think back, maybe 10, 20, 30 years, depending on how old you are, uh, when you were a little kid. I want to ask you, what did you think you would be doing at this point in your life, whatever age you are now, what did you think you would be doing? Uh, For me, uh, until I was seven years old, I wanted to be an explorer, uh, which is like an awesome little kid dream, right? I wanted to go and explore new lands and and, uh, make the maps, and I thought, man, this is going to be a sweet job. And then my dad, I told my dad that we were in the car one day, and I'll never forget, we were in his Dodge Shadow, uh, and it was, the paint was peeling off it. You, have, you ever drive a 90s Dodge? It was terrible. The, I don't know what they did to their paint, but it was all, all, I remember that. It's so vivid in my mind. I was sitting in the passenger seat, and he goes, well, you know, the whole world's been explored by now. You can't do that. And I was just like heartbroken, and I was like, what? I, that's what I want to do. I, I want to do that. I just remember being completely heartbroken and I had to figure out uh, a job to do. But uh, uh, what did you think you would be doing at this point in your life? Think about when you were in high school or when you were in college or if you were uh, older. Uh, think about when you were young and you had young kids. What did you think life would look like right now? Did you think you would have the job that you had to, or the relationship that you had or the finances that you had or the issues that you have as well with those things? Did you think you would have the health that you had right now? Did you think that you would have the opportunities and the know-with-all and the knowledge and the skills that you had right now? You know, there's some things in life that we absolutely cannot control. They're outside of our control completely. You may have had a loved one pass away at this point in your life. And you would have never thought, man, I would have never thought that would happen. My best friend Jeff, growing up, he lost his dad in high school. He would have never thought that his dad would pass away when he was a junior in high school. There's some things that are just completely outside of your control. There's other things that are within your control that maybe you look back and you regret. You made a mistake and you're saying, man, I really messed up that opportunity or I messed up my career or my finances. And man, it's taken years or even decades to recover from some bad choices or mistakes that I have made. There's some times where there are people in your life, close loved ones who make decisions that you don't agree with. And so you're saying, man, that's a affected me, my loved ones making mistakes or poor choices or choices that don't honor the Lord, those things have affected me. And there's other times in life, man, there's just things completely in your control and you're saying, I did do good things. I I thought I was doing the right things and it just didn't turn out the way that I thought that it would. And I kind of feel like this woman right now here in 2 Kings chapter 8 is probably thinking that, that Elisha calls her away and she, remember, she was a wealthy person. If you remember back in chapter 4, she's very, very wealthy. She's so wealthy that she has the means to add on to her home to house Elisha as he has his earthly ministry here. And so if you're looking at this and you're saying, man, this woman, she has a lot of wealth. And then Elisha says, hey, um, there's going to be a famine. I, uh, I need you to like go somewhere else for seven years, like wherever you can find. In verse 1, we find out he just says to her, Arise, depart your household, sojourn, look at this, 
wherever you can, for the Lord has called a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. Could you imagine this? I mean, sometimes we read through Scripture and we go, oh, well, she had to move, right? That's no big deal. Think about this. If, you, if I said to you, um, <clears throat> hey, listen, uh, the entire uh, country of the United States of America is going to go through a massive famine. You have to move somewhere for seven years. That's a massive deal, right? You're like, uh, I guess Canada's not that far away. I guess we can go there, right? Like, if it's not flooded with other Americans, right? Like, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. She's uprooted. She has wealth. She is a noble person within her community. People know her. And now Elisha's like, um, hey, you actually have to move somewhere else. Good luck. There's going to be a famine here. Uh, I hope that God takes care of you, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is a huge, huge deal. She would have never thought this when she put Elisha up in her home. She would have never thought this as she's accumulating wealth for herself. She would have never thought this as she is being a noble person within her community, that she would have had to move for seven years. This is a huge deal. And it says that the woman did it. She arose and she did it according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines. The Philistines didn't live super far away from the Israelites, but they did have a very, very different culture than the Israelites. They would have had a different financial system. They would have had a different uh, culture in the way that you interact and the language that you use. Her wealth wouldn't have been any good in the land of the Philistines. And so you look at this and you're like, this is a huge, huge deal. Life gave her a detour. And sometimes in our life as well, we have a detour. Sometimes God says, um, hey, I know that you thought that your life would look like this at this point in your life, but it's not going to. Your health is going to be different. Your relationship with your kids is going to be different. Your job is going to be different. Sometimes God's going to call you to something and you're going to say, man, that's way different than I thought. When I was a high schooler, I thought for sure I was going to be an engineer. My family uh, has a lot of engineers in them. I'm good with math. I knew, hey, I could do this job. I could make a decent amount of money doing it and have a good life for myself. God gave me a detour when he saved me and called me to become a pastor. And if you look at this woman and what she does, she trusts in God and she says, hey, listen, I'm going to go to this other country for seven years because I trust you, God. She could have stayed. She could have said, Elisha, you know what? You're out to lunch. That's crazy. I, I, that, that's nothing. I'm going to stay here. I have all my financial uh, system in order here. I have my community, my friends, my family, my house. I'm going to stay here. And she doesn't. What does she do when she has a detour? She trusts God with the, de- with the details. And in our life, when we have a detour in life, We have to say, God, I trust you. I give my life to you, and I'm going to trust you with the little details, including the country that I live in, which is actually a pretty big detail in her life. Um, This week it got cold. Uh, You guys know that Friday came around, and for some reason it was like, man, summer was done and fall is here. Break out your pants and long sleeves. No more shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops. It's cold out there, and um, I don't like the cold. Some people love it. My wife, she's all about it. She loves the cold, and she's so excited. She goes, it's sweater weather, right? And I'm like, oh, man. And the way I say it is it's sweater weather, right? Like, it's just not fun. For me, if it were up to me, we would live somewhere like San Diego, Hawaii, the Florida Keys, right? I mean, somewhere where it's nice and warm 100% of the time. And that's not what God had for us. He called us here 
to northern Indiana. I'm not sure why, but he did. I'm glad that he did too because he's teaching me to enjoy it. And even though winter isn't my favorite thing, I know that God has us here and I can be happy with that because God knows us. He knows our hearts and we trust him with the details. Psalm 139 puts it like this. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it all together. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 10. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on. He knew for this lady she was best off in the land of the Philistines for the seven years of the famine. And thank the Lord that she followed that. She was faithful with that. And her and her family survived. A lot of the Israelites didn't survive through this famine. If you remember back in chapter 6, we found out that there were actually people eating their own children to survive the famine. I mean, just unfathomable evil things to survive this famine. They had to do that. And so because we can trust in God with the details and say, all right, God, even if you give me a detour in life, even if it's not exactly how I would have planned this out, I trust you and I'm going to be all in, right? Because you could also say, all right, God, I'm going to go and do this because you wanted me to do it. And so I guess it's fine. And I'll go be faithful, right? And you could be upset and you could be uh, just, just not enthusiastic about it. But listen, what does 1 Samuel chapter 16 tell us? It says, Do not look at his appearance or on the height or stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord, look at this, sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. Look at this. But the Lord looks on the heart. God knows your heart with this. So if God's called you to do something, even if it's a detour, even if you're saying, man, I don't know, I don't know what is going on in my life, you can say, God, I trust you with the details, and I'm all in on them too. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm all in. I'm, I'm going for this because I know that you have my good in mind. Romans 8.28 reminds us that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to to his purpose. And you know, when you go all in and you really trust God with all the details, like enthusiastically, right? Not like all like upset about it, like I guess God wants me to do this, right? If you really go all in and you trust God with the details, it changes who you are. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. This is during his Sermon on the Mount. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. When you trust God and you say, God, I trust you with the details. I don't know how you're going to provide for me. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But God, if this is what you want us to do, then we'll do it. Man, you can really eliminate some of the worries and anxiousness and anxieties in, in your life here. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. Man, how amazing is it to just trust in God and let the worries go? Um, can, can I uh, be a little vulnerable with you this morning? Uh, I, I haven't shared this with many people, um, but uh, when I was a, a, an associate pastor at my home church, uh, Bethel Missionary Church, 
I got that job right out of college. Uh, it's where I grew up. They offered me a job, and Tammy and I prayed about it. We had a couple different opportunities and felt led to go with that one. And then over the course of a few years of being over there, uh, God, God really put it on my heart to go to a church that needed to be revitalized, a church in a struggling situation. And a lot of people looked at me and said, don't do that, that's dumb, right? Like they said, go to a bigger church where there's a lot more resources, you, that your job will be a lot safer, uh, you, you know, like uh, it's just going to be an easier job for you, you've never been a senior pastor before, uh, why don't you go to a, a more established, bigger church? And I actually had a senior pastor from a larger church contact me and offer me a job as an associate pastor there. But God put my heart on my heart to go to a struggling church that needed to be revitalized. And even though people said, don't do that, that's crazy, that's dumb, that doesn't make any sense, I felt like God calling me to do that. And I'm so glad that he did, because now I am so honored to be called your pastor. And it's amazing to see God work through that and God provide. And he did the same thing when Tammy and I felt like he put on our hearts to do foster care and, and to be foster parents. And Tammy went down part-time and we thought, man, teachers don't make all that much, but man, part-time teachers really don't make all that much, right? And we looked at our finance and we were like, well, we can swing it, but you know, we're just going to have to be careful about things and you know, we're going to have to really watch our spending and, and budget well. And it's amazing to see the way that God provides and takes care of us. Man, but you got to trust him with the details and say, God, if this is what you want me to do, then I'm going to do it. I'm so amazed to see what God has done, even in the midst of it, just a handful of years here at Hillside and in, in uh, our Tammy and I's family life as well to get us in a new home, a bigger home. And man, I, I can't believe that. I, I, we, we thought we were just going to be scraping by, and yet God said, nope, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. But you have to trust him with the details. Take a look at this uh, story as we continue on here in verse 3. It says, at the end of the seven years, this woman comes back. She comes back from the land of the Philistines, and she goes to the king, and she starts to appeal for her house and her land. Okay, so something you have to understand about Israel is they don't act uh, like we do as far as uh, their housing and their land goes in the Old Testament. Uh, Right now, uh, I could sell my home, and uh, I would have the equity in my home. They'd write me a check, and then we'd be on our merry way. It didn't happen like that. In the Old Testament, uh, land was uh, attributed to certain tribes and then certain families within that tribe. And you could kind of, you know, buy and sell here and there a little bit. But really, if it's a family's land, that really sticks with the family the entire time. And so this is a way that uh, God would provide for families here. He would say, hey, if nothing else, if you lose everything else, you at least have your land. You can uh, grow crops on it. You can raise livestock on it. It's a way to provide for yourself. It's almost like Old Testament welfare. It's the system that God is putting up here to say, I am going to take care and provide for people in this way. And so when she goes back after this famine, people would have taken her land. She's gone. She's left. And so she's going to the king and she's going, hey, listen, this is mine. This is my family's land. I would like this house and this land back. And I would like for you to give it to me here. Listen, but it's seven years. It's been seven years since this has happened. And she's actually able to go back and she has some level of certainty as well that she can say, hey, listen, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to ask for this. She has some certainty that she can actually get this 
back as well. And it's been seven years. That's a long time to go through a famine. That's a long time for people to take over this land. And Elisha, when he told her this, he told her this would be seven years. The second thing I want you to write down, after trusting God with the details, realize this. The detour is only temporary. It's only a temporary detour. And you may be saying, listen, my detour in life, it's, it, it, it's not temporary. It's a terminal illness. I have lost a loved one to death, right? Like these are permanent things. And you would be right in saying that they are permanent things this side of heaven. But listen, we know that for us who believe in Christ, really our earthly life is just a blimp on the radar compared to eternity. James puts it like this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's why Paul can write this in Romans 8.18. 8, after being uh, beaten, after being wrongly accused and thrown in prison, after all these terrible things that happened to him, he can say, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's also why he can write to the church in Corinth and he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, look at this, are eternal. Paul writes this over and over and over again. Acts chapter 20 will put it like this. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I finish the course of ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. This should be our focus. Why? Because we realize these things are only temporary. Life's troubles, life's hardships, the detours that you see in your financial life or your career or your relational life here, listen, they're only temporary. The detours are only temporary. And you can have an eternal mindset to say, man, I'm living not for this world, but for heaven. And it affects what we do, what we think. It affects how we use our finances and resources and time because we realize, hey, listen, um, this is only temporary. This woman, she could have said, no, this is my home. I've always lived here. My family's always lived here. We built this house. We built it on for Elisha. We built this extra room. And you know, we're not leaving. We're not leaving. This is permanent. We're, this is where we live. And that's, that's just all there is to it. And she doesn't do that. Why? Because she realizes, hey, there's a detour in life. And this world's really not my home. This world's really not my home. My home truly is on heaven. My home is with the Lord. And that's where I'm going to be living for. And so she realizes it's only temporary, and we need to realize that as well. Two more things I want to point out. I know we're starting to run low on time here, so two more things I want to point out real quickly. It says that the king was talking with Gehazi. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for a while, you would have remembered that Gehazi is Elisha's servant. However, uh, he also was kind of manipulative and he lied at a certain point. And so his punishment was to be stricken with leprosy. Uh, after Naaman, uh, an enemy commander of an army, came in, Elisha healed him. Naaman wanted to give a bunch of finances and, and resources to Elisha. Uh, Elisha turned that down and said, no, go back home. And then Gehazi runs after him and he says, hey, oh, actually we changed our mind. We want that. He actually took that without Elisha knowing his punishment is that he gets 
leprosy, a terrible skin disease. So he would have been kind of outcast. Uh, there is a certain tradition. There's no scriptural evidence for this, so take this as you will. There's a certain tradition that in chapter 7, there were those four lepers that go and discover that the enemy army had uh, heard something, that the Lord had caused them to hear something and go away. And so those lepers were the ones that discovered that. There's a, tr- a tradition that Gehazi was the leader of those lepers. Now, take that as you will. It's kind of just hearsay. Uh, there's no scriptural evidence for that. But regardless, Gehazi's there. He probably still has leprosy. You might be asking yourself, how is he talking to the king? Well, it seems like the king has a willingness, a, 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 a longing to hear about Elisha. And so it could be that he's kind of uh, standing afar from Gehazi just because he wants information. It could be that Gehazi is healed and it's just not recorded in Scripture for some reason. We're just not really sure what was going on. Um, also, a lot of times the Old Testament is out of chronological order, which kind of drives our 21st century minds crazy, at least it does for me. Uh, but back then it just wasn't a huge priority for them to have chronological order like it is for us today. So maybe things are out of order. There's a lot of possibilities. We're just not totally sure. But regardless, Gehazi is telling uh, the king about Elisha. And as soon as he starts to tell the king about how Elisha had healed this, uh, this son, uh, he had brought him from death to life. Look at this. It said, behold, the woman whose son had restored to life appeared to the king for her house and her land. She is there, and she's saying, hey, listen, I'm appealing for these things, and I need this. Just at the time, think about the details that God is orchestrating here. Like, just at the time, the king is inquiring. He finds Gehazi, and he's inquiring about Elisha's life. Just at this, right at this perfect moment, the woman's here to make her appeal for her house and her land. The, the details that God has orchestrated for this are just amazing. And then Gehazi's like, hey, listen, that's the woman. That's the woman whose son came from dead to life that that Elisha restored. There's a miracle here. Now, listen, even in the midst of this, though, even in the midst of this, look at this. This woman is here. She's appealing for her land. Nowhere in this, and we're going to talk a little bit more about these verses here in just a moment, but nowhere in these verses is this woman bitter Is she angry? Is she upset? Is she rearing and roaring for a fight? It doesn't say that she's like, hey, she came in knowing that she had this argument perfectly crafted in her mind. She was going to to argue the king or she was going to go fight or she was going to go take her land back by surprise or or through manipulation. She just goes and she's like, hey, I'd like that back. It was mine. I, I would really appreciate if you could restore that back to me. I don't know many people who could be that calm in this situation where you're saying, hey, listen, that's belonged to my family for generations and I would like that back. And she doesn't have it. And she has to go to appeal to the king. I don't know how many people could have a peaceful mindset about that, but it appears that she does right here. Listen, when life gives you detours, when you're looking at your life and you're saying, this is not what I was expecting my life to look like, it can be easy to be bitter and angry in the midst of this. But listen, if you are facing a detour in life right now, I'm going to ask you, avoid this. Avoid becoming bitter and angry in your life. It's so, it, man, it's really hard because it's so easy to just go look at life and go, Ugh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be totally different than this. This is not what I signed up for. And it's easy to have this bitterness in your life, this pessimism, this, this anger. 
Listen, and anger isn't always bad. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You could be angry and it could be a righteous anger. You could be angry at injustices in the world. Jesus was angry when he came into the temple. People were selling uh, things to be sacrificed and that's just not the way that God had designed it. And so Jesus was upset. He was angry. Listen, but it says do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down. That means you shouldn't hold on to the anger that you might have in life. If you're saying, man, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's easy to become bitter and become angry. Don't do that. Later on in Ephesians, just a few verses later, it will say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hebrews will put it like this in chapter 12. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and it may be many become uh, defiled. Have you ever met someone who is bitter? They're not fun, right? I mean, everything about life is always pessimistic. I can't believe that person did it or that. I can't believe, I can't believe this situation's like that. Can you believe this is happening in my life? This is just terrible, right? I mean, this is what bitterness can do. It can just rip you apart. And look at this at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It says that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes you, uh, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You can miss out on God's grace in your life because of bitterness. Man, I have met people who have gone through the ringer in life. I mean, you name it, they've been through it. And it is just terrible. And yet they have this calm and this peace about them and this trust that God has it all under control. And that's what we should be shooting for to say, I'm not going to let bitterness have a place in my life. I'm not going to let anger rule over me. Just because life isn't what I thought it would be, just because life doesn't look exactly like I thought, and man, there's a lot different, I'm not going to let bitterness and anger rule me from the inside out and destroy my relationship with God. Because that's really what it has the possibility of doing. Bitterness and anger, they really have the possibility of putting this wall in between us and the Lord. And eventually our hearts can become very hardened and we can fall away from the Lord that way. And that's what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 is talking about. That someone may fail to obtain the grace of God. Why? Because of a root of bitterness in their life. So avoid that. Even if life doesn't look like what you thought it would look like, avoid the bitterness Avoid the anger. One more thing I want to point out real quickly here in verse 6. It says, When the king asked the woman, she told him, saying, The king appointed an official to her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left land until now. Listen, if this woman uh, had, had this temptation, it would have been totally understandable for her to say, This king is the one who provided for me. Not only did he restore my land, not only did he give me back what was mine, but he also gave her something that she really didn't even ask for. All the produce of the fields from the day that she left the land until now. We're talking about seven years. Seven years of income. I want you to think about your income annually right now. Now multiply that by seven. Okay, That's probably a large chunk of change. 
right? I mean, that might be hundreds of thousands of dollars in your life. That's a lot of money. And this king is literally looking at her and saying, oh, not only am I going to give you your land and house back, I'm going to give you hundreds of thousands of dollars. There you go. It's a gift from me. And she could have had the temptation to say, man, this king is amazing. This king is the one who provided for me. But really, it wasn't the king. Who orchestrated all those details together? That the king would just so happen to be inquiring about Elisha through his servant Gehazi. At the moment Gehazi was talking to the king about what Elisha had done and that he had brought a boy from the dead back to life, this woman and her, and her son is just there to appeal for her house. It just so happened. All those deals were orchestrated by the Lord. It wasn't the king that gave her this. It was God. The last thing in life that, that we need to do is just say, you know what, God, I realize this, and I remember that you are the one who provides for me. It's not my own ability to make money. It's not my own ability to handle them and to handle my resources. It's not my job who provides for me. It's not my boss or the company I work for. It's really and truly the Lord. Because who gave you the ability to work anyways? Who gave you the brain and the muscle that you have? Who gave you the ability and the opportunity to have the job that you have? It's not any person. It's really the Lord. It's really God who provides for us. And He provides really well. Philippians chapter 4 says, My God will supply, look at this, every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, Carolyn read this earlier for us, but it reminds us, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Jesus puts it like this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Even in the midst of a detour, you may be saying, man, I, I don't know how we're going to make it through this month. Student loans just started back up. Maybe you're saying, man, I don't know how I'm going to make that payment. That's a huge addition to my, my monthly budget and my expenses. I don't know how I'm going to come up with that. You may be looking at your job and saying, man, these th man, the economy is really affecting my job, and I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to uh, uh, have the, the, the money at the end of the month to, to pay all the bills and to go grocery shopping, and man, inflation's going crazy, and where we take a deep breath and say, no, 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 God, I trust you. Even in the detours, even in the health crises, even when we lose a loved one, even when relationships are rocky, God, I trust you. And I remember the promise in Psalm 34 that says, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You may think you need a lot more than what God is giving to you, and maybe it needs some adjustment along the way, but God will provide for us. What do we do? We trust God in the details of our detours. We remember it's only temporary. We avoid bitterness and anger, and we remember that He's the one that provides. We remember that. Really, in my mind, all these things come down to trust. To say, God, I trust you. With everything, with my life, I trust you. In my relationships, in my finances, in my health, God, I give them to you and I trust you because I realize that you're God and I'm not.
And even if terrible, terrible things happen in life, we don't have to be bitter about them. We don't have to be angry about them. We could just simply say, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I trust you. I love you, and so I realize this, that all things are working out for my good and for your glory, God. How in your life, let me ask you this, how in your life can you simply trust God more? Maybe it looks like spending more time resting and not working. Maybe it looks like you saying, you know what, God, I need to spend more time in your word and in prayer because I trust that you've got it all under control and I can spend that time with you each and every day. Maybe it looks like for you taking your finances and really taking them seriously and saying, you know what, God, I do need to give to you what you ask of me. Maybe it looks like you looking at your time and saying, you know what, God, I feel like I'm not being faithful with this. I'm wasting my time that you've given to me. I give it to you, Jesus, because I trust that I will be fulfilled better by giving you my time than giving Netflix or Instagram or TikTok my time. God, I give these things to you. I give you everything that I have, and I trust you. And I trust that you can satisfy me better than each and everything else that's out there. I give you my life, God. Let me pray for you. Father, that's our prayer today, that we would just give you everything. That we would trust you. That we would live with a heaven mindset, Father. That we would live in a way that we remember, man, these earthly things are only temporary. They're not going to last forever. As you say, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, that lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no moth can destroy, where no thief can steal. God, help us to lay our treasures in heaven. Help us to trust you with everything that we have, even when things don't go the way that we think they will. Just like this woman here in 2 Kings, life didn't go the way that she thought it would. And yet, God, you provided for her. You spared her from terrible things. And you still gave her everything that she would have had, just as if that famine never happened. God, we trust you. We trust you. We know that you know us so well, better than we even know ourselves. And so, God, we give you our lives. We thank you so much for sending your one and only Son on the cross to die on our behalf. And Jesus, I pray that as we, as we go and we try to live our lives God, that you would help us to honor you, glorify you in our words and our thoughts and our actions, in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we interact with each other. And God, help us ultimately just to trust you. We give you everything we have, Jesus, because you first gave us everything you have. And it's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.